What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Three Things Podcast. I'm super pumped to be back with round two with Eric Mitchell. If you didn't listen to Eric's first episode, I highly suggest you go back. We talk about storytelling, similes, metaphors, analogies, and coaching. But today, Eric joins me just to talk about speed training. A little known fact about Eric is that he was actually ridiculously fast. Um, He talks a little bit about his accolades as a sprinter through college and high school. Um, Then we dive into talking about speed training and coaching up uh, athletes. And I think he really pulls back the curtain on a lot of really great concepts that get overlooked in the industry. Without further ado, Eric Mitchell, round two. Mr. Mitchell. So let's let's start here. I know I know we've done a podcast episode in the past, but let's uh, for yeah. those that are new to the three things, let's just start with a little bit about you. Tell us wh- who you are, where you're at, what you do, why you do it, and just um, things people should know about Eric Mitchell. Okay. All right. So, uh, guys, my name's Eric Mitchell. Uh, I've known Casey for now going on close to six or seven years, maybe a little bit longer. Um, I own the Parisi Speed School and the Training for Warriors in Downingtown, Pennsylvania. So my my background basically was a multiple sport athlete collegiately, small division three college in central Pennsylvania, and have been in the business coaching since 1990. I was a track coach in high school, sprint coach and jump coach for four years at a school just outside of Philadelphia, and have been personal training ever since then. But my passion, my real passion was sports performance and how to get kids to be better uh, at speed, agility, power, strength, but ultimately how that translates into self-confidence because I had a very tough experience with coaches in high school where they told me athletically I wasn't fast enough, I wasn't tall enough, I wasn't strong enough, and yet uh, that just fueled my fire to be better. And then also uh, I had collegiate coaches who were phenomenal, who changed my entire outlook and turned me truly into a sprinter uh, and was really made my confidence level so high that once I got out and I I dabbled with the idea that I was going to go to law school and be a lawyer and then quickly scuttled that and decided that I wanted to get into sports performance. And back then, you know, 1989, 1990, there was no such thing really. Uh, But what I found over the years was my experiences, those negative experiences that I had from coaching turned me into a much better coach so that now I was able to use my passion for athletics and translate it into a a passion for coaching. So that's kind of in a nutshell where I am right now. I'm, I've been a Parisi speed school owner for the past 13 years uh, and also with the adult population for training for warriors for the past eight years. So, and I'm very blessed. I'm with a, uh, an organization that allows me to go out and coach coaches on speed, agility, power, strength. Uh, but ultimately, it boils down to life skills, self-confidence, uh, to get these kids more motivated. And that's what excites me, is getting them motivated. So, Casey, I mean, really, that's, that's who I am for the people who didn't hear the last podcast. 
and I'm really excited to be back on again. That's awesome. If you guys had not listened to uh, Eric's first episode, we talk a lot about the power of storytelling, um, analogies, metaphors, and just kind of the language of coaching. And I think that's uh, a must, must listen if, if you're just jumping into the three things for the first time. Um, if you are new to the three things, this is your first episode. The three things is basically, um, I have three things written on a piece of paper. Um, my guests never know the questions. They might know the topics or what we might talk about, um, which is typically how I ask them to come on these, uh, these podcast episodes. But um, everything is candid. It's 100% literally uh, unscripted, especially from uh, the guests as far as uh, just their responses. So I think that's very important to really just um, kind of filter out some of the, I don't know, the, the takes or like the, the side of the fence that people sit on with their certain points of views and things like that. So I, I try to bring the most honest and authentic version of the guest and the conversation to the listener. Um, so Mr. Mitchell, I know we talked about storytelling last time. I want to kind of switch gears yeah. and you, you mentioned this sure. to kind of your, your intro. Um, you're a speed guy. You were ridiculously yeah. fast. What was your best hundred meter time? Uh, 1056. Boy. 1056 in the 100 meter and 2133 in the 200. That is so fast. Long, long time ago. <laughs> that is fast. Well, I wanted to talk to you about speed training. And obviously that's, you know, sure. what, what we do largely at Parisi. But you, you've got, I, I think, a little different side of it as far as you could do it. You know, like you were fast and now you coach people to be fast. What, like, and, and this could be something that's just, just what you've seen lately um, what, what do you think, and this is a really broad question, um, so yeah. take it however you, however you want, what do you, when, like, someone comes in, I walk into your facility and I say, hey, coach, I want to be fast. Mechanically, like, what, what do you think it prevents people from, you know, speed development? Like, what are some of the big block things you look at when you start coaching speed to an athlete? Well, you know, Casey, and, and, and I'm sure that you can echo this, that the first, the first step is evaluating where the athlete currently is and taking a health history form and finding out, hey, what injuries have they sustained uh, in the past? What are, you know, where are their strengths and weaknesses? Because if we don't find that out, we, we always we have a saying that with, with athletes, we can't put them into a program where, if we don't have a baseline to understand where they are. So finding out where they are, understanding where they are, timing some certain times uh, of, of runs that they do, their vertical jumps, testing their overall strength with perhaps chin-ups and push-ups, doing their broad jump testing so that we can find out what, what's going on with them. What I'd say is this. I, you know, ultimately, you look at this. We have, we have a generation of kids who are incredibly weak. Now, I, I don't mean necessarily, like, when you look at weakness, people think a lot of times it's this, you know, oh, these kids can't bench, they can't do this, they can't do that. But the reality is this, is that put away the generalizations for the specific lifts. In, in general, kids are not strong overall from the bottom of their feet to the top of their head. We have a generation of kids that, that really don't do a whole lot outside of the sport they play. And I get plenty of kids that roll in that are soccer players or lacrosse players and you ask them about being athletic and they, there's a puzzled look on their faces as that they're not athletic and they're not strong. We have a generation of kids that don't play. They don't go outside and play. Take it for what it is right now. And Casey, I'm 50. 
So when I was, when I was that age, 10, 11, 12, you had about four hours of free play time a day, maybe a little bit more. Kids are down below the 30-minute mark now of free play time. So they're not strong. So the number one determining factor in my mind for speed development, development is making sure that they are strong. Relative body strength has such a, such a big, uh, such a, plays such a large factor in speed development. So you look at that, see, are they strong? Then you start looking at mobility. And I'm a real big believer in this. I know you are as well. Flexibility is not what I'm talking about. So the ability to touch your toes is not going to determine how fast you are. But how mobile are you around the hip joint? How mobile is your thoracic spine so that you can really get into the motions of acceleration and top speed mechanics? And you'll find most kids can't do that. Now, I'll say can't yet because they don't know how yet. We, we have been sold a bill of goods, and it continues today, of people saying, you're born fast. You're, look, you're born fast. Now, if you ask me what you asked me about the 100 and the 200, genetically speaking, my family has a long history of speed. So there's a long history of speed. However, if it wasn't for a collegiate coach that I had that worked on two things, relative body strength and technique, there's no way I would run those times. So to me, getting a clear understanding of what the, the child's relative body strength is and then looking at what their mobility looks like. Because quite frankly, the technique, that's a skill. And that's a learned process for kids. And I love it when parents come in and they're like, well, you know, I, I, I'm actually amazed, Casey, and I don't know if you get this. I get parents that are rolling and just say, my kid's fat and slow. And, and oh, I'm, yeah. I, I'm appalled, number one. Yeah. So but they don't understand the parents not going to see it the same way we do. And that's when people ask like, well, how can you see? Because our eyes are trained to see these things now more than anybody else in the sports performance world. So I don't know if that's directly the way that, you know, that you were looking for the answer, but I got to tell you, I, I'm a real firm believer that we have to work on those two things to make sure kids understand how to get fast. I love it. No, I think, I mean, obviously, with any question, like how you take it is, is what the answer I want. But I think that hits the nail sure. on the head for just especially young athletes that are going through major developmental phases in their life, you know, puberty starting, growth spurts, whatever, you know, relative body strength stays. Strength stays. And through there, you know, you're able to kind of break down joint actions independently before you ask them to kind of hit a home run and run fast on a track or on a field. I think that, you know, literally people when – they coach speed, think that, okay, and there's truth to this as well. Like, yes, get out there and go run because specificity is always going to be king to everything, but that's only going to get you so far if your athlete, you know, isn't very strong, can't move very well in the areas that need to be moving. So, I, I mean, I, like you said, I echo exactly what you're saying. I think that's, that's where, you know, the building blocks get, start to get laid. Um, sure. Now, let me, let me ask you this because you run a very high-level – NFL, not NFL, well, I mean, you have some NFL guys, but high-level sure. football program. And, yeah. I mean, football is probably the, the most, you know, polarizing sport when it comes to the combine and athletes having to run and perform in their underwear and put up certain numbers. When right. you're getting an athlete ready for something so specialized like a 40-yard dash sprint uh, or a 10-yard split time if it's one of the linemen, like where, after you've assessed the athlete, what are some of the big things you do to get ready for specific tests like the 40? 
Yeah. The, the, now, the, the interesting thing about it is, is that we, we and especially at the, at, at the pre-speed schools, uh, repetition is the key to everything. Understanding where their bodies are supposed to be, their positions of power are really important. So if you look at the 40, and we can break it down, Casey, you could even say the 10, the 20, you could say this about a 100-meter dash sprinter getting into the blocks. The ritualistic stances are the most important part of that. So the ritual of creating, the you're laying down neuromuscular, um, I would say almost like fiber typing, you know, I know that that's, you know, you're talking about developing motor neurons that are going to be much better. So you're greasing the neurological system to be effective. So it's not the first step that you're really teaching. You're teaching them, hey, what's the foundation of the stance? Once they understand that, you, you're, going to see, uh, you're going to see a change in the way that the athlete projects power out into the first step. So we go through repetition after repetition after repetition for these athletes to understand where their where's their body supposed to be? What I mean, down to which finger is which finger and the thumb are are planted, and what the angle of the body is. And the more you do that, again, you're laying down this neuromuscular facilitation for these athletes to be, uh, you know, to to execute that motion more effectively and efficiently. So there, therein lies again. It's a skill set. My guys come. They they come in. They they don't know these these drills. They're, they've been fast all their lives. They never had to work on that because they're the cream of the, uh, you know, the, the creme de la creme of the athletes that come in. But by the way, Casey, hey, they have to evaluate. They have the same, if not more, issues than the seven-year-old walking into the facility. <laughs> so, you know, th that's what I look at. And it's funny. They'll say this all the time. They'll say to me, well, do I have to set the stance up the same way each time? Yes. Do I have to put my foot in the same spot each time? Yes. Why? Because if you don't do that, you're going to create poor habits and poor mechanics. And, and again, it keeps going back to that this is foundational. This is everything that we teach the, the, the jumpstart kids. That the elite athletes sometimes forget because they're elite. They look at it and go, I don't have to do that stuff. Well, yes, you do. And that's the difference when you look at the national combine and you see the athletes that have clearly worked on their craft. They've clearly worked on their skill set for the tests. Uh, and, and it's funny, Casey, I love it when people say, well, they don't really, nobody cares about that. They only care about how you play football. Okay, yes. But the bottom line is they still have to test well. Yep. They have to demonstrate their athleticism. And it, it's amazing how we take then, and, and by the way, Casey, I apply the same principles. My jumpstart kids know the exact setup for the 10, 20, and 40-yard dash sprints. They know exactly how to project their bodies out, and they, they learn that technique uh, coupled with their, you know, relative body strength development. So I would say this, ritualistic launching of movements, understanding that will change the way an athlete, number one, performs, but also it'll affect the way they play the game they're in to a, to a, to a positive, for sure. No question about it. That's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, that's some insight right there that, I mean, I, up in Northern Vermont, we might have one or two prep school football kids that need to prepare for a showcase or something. But right. I mean, I would never classify like any of the athletes that we get quote unquote elite as they're just not at, they're not looking to compete at the most elite level, but they're obviously looking to better themselves. So I, I think that sure. that insight is, is incredibly invaluable. I, that's awesome. Um, 
What's the fastest 40 you've ever seen? So the fastest 40 I ever saw was a, a, a slot receiver from Temple University. And he happened to be uh, Devin Hester's cousin, um, wow. Travis Shelton. And he ran a hand time 429. Wow. So, so I mean, on the laser, he was in the low 4.3s. So, wow. I mean, it's the fastest I've ever seen. And I, uh, it, was, it was a, re- a remarkable, remarkable time to watch. But, but, here's, but here's the other point. He ran, he ran in the junior, the junior Olympic four by 100 meter relay team with Xavier Carter <laughs> and Walter Dix. So that's yeah. speed. you know, when you're running 10, two in the hundred and people don't realize how fast that really is. Oh my gosh. Um, it, I it, mean, it, it, it looks it's absolutely flying. Yeah. It's, it's, and, and interestingly enough, like if I've had people that have said to me, well, you were really fast. I said, I, I had some speed. And then they're like, oh, that's like Olympic. I'm like, not even close. No, not the even speed. close. A full second so, less. Yeah, yeah, and 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 what, what you're, you know, when you when you when you look at that, that's the and and here's the interesting thing. He didn't come into our program running that fast. Let's just yeah. say that, and he exited running that fast. So pretty pretty remarkable. Wow. What um what's like the biggest mistake you see athletes do in the forty? Uh, okay, so again, it, it it trails back to what they end up doing is they watch especially high school athletes have a tendency to turn on the NFL combine. They see athletes that are, they might be Parisi trained. They might not be Parisi trained. They see hips high. They see hand way up with, which is a coaching flag for the start. They, I see athletes that will, that will check up uh, and not finish completely through the run. They have a tendency to imitate the people on television and what young kids have to realize is, number one, let me tell you something right now. No high school kids running 4-3. I mean, it's just and, – and by the way, probably not 4-4 unless it's an absolute freak of nature. Um, they have a tendency to uh, – their arm drive isn't in the right spots. They don't practice technique for leg drive, either in acceleration or top speed. So you just asked me the number one mistake. The problem is in speed is that when you make one, it compounds into others. Yeah. So my my thought is this, kids are impatient. So the number one thing I see is this lack of patience. And in reality, now this is for all these kids, these coaches out there that are listening. And if any kids are are listening to this, coaches are watching everything you do. So if it's a football coach that's testing in the 40, they're watching, how does this kid respond? How does this kid react? What is his reaction when he's not satisfied with the run he just made? And they're looking at that, and they look at, it, they look at character and integrity now. So it all, it all ties in. But I would say the number one mistake kids make is they imitate somebody else, and they should not be doing that. They should yeah. figure out that mechanics are mechanics. That's the bottom line. The 40-yard dash is determined by your stance, not your first step. The first step is determined by your stance. Stance is right. Chances are, if you put everything else together, the run's going to be what you want. But I think that's the one of the number one mistakes. Kids are so impatient. And, I mean, that's what I've observed. That's awesome. That's awesome. Wow. So, uh, again, if, I, I don't, haven't done this in a podcast episode, but for any coaches that uh, look to dabble in speed or, or are preparing athletes for specific combines, go back about four minutes and <laughs> listen to everything Eric just said. <laughs> Because, I mean, I, I'm lucky I get to see some of the material that Eric puts out. I've obviously trained with Eric um, and I've listened to him present and talk about speed training. But, um, I, mean, this, I mean, how many years have you been preparing football players? 
So I actually started my first um, high school and uh, NFL combine prep uh, in 1997 was my awesome. first athlete. And, and it was interesting. And, and for all those coaches, guys, the relationships that you develop during your tenure as a coach, how you do that will end up affecting the business you get. So literally right out of the gate, Casey, and I mean right out of the gate when I started sports performance, a, law, a lawyer who's a sports agent saw my article in, in the Philadelphia Inquirer, contacted me, and my, one, of my, one of my first clients was a defensive lineman from Penn State who was drafted by the Indianapolis Colts after he went through my program, which was, interestingly enough, very similar to what, Parisi, what I encountered in Parisi. Now, leaps and bounds, what Martin taught me through Parisi combine training was, was, was so much better. Um, but the basis of what I had was already in place and immediately had a guy who was drafted at, out, of the, out of the shoot in the combine. So it was leveraging who I knew. And, and that's how I kind of stumbled upon combine training. And that's how, you know, so all you, any coach out there that thinks they can't do that, oh, yeah, you can. I mean, you definitely can. Uh, so just, just keep that in mind. Yeah, spot on. It's always comes down. It's funny how it always comes back to relationships. Who, who yeah. have you, you know, who do you know? How have you fostered it? And just what their perception of you is, is, is the business. That it, that's what we do. Well, it's, so, it's impact, Casey. It's yeah. impact, man. That's what okay. it is. See first podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, I will make sure that that is linked up in the show notes for sure. Um, Mr. Mitchell, the third thing. So the third thing on the list, and this is kind of, I mean, it still involves sprinting. Where does sprinting play a role with the adult population? Sure. Um, listen, I, and I, I say this all the time. I tell people in my, so I have a TFW. We sprint and we lift. Now, sprinting's relative. There are some people that can handle it and some who can't. But sprinting is a key component to two things. Number one, management of weight. Interesting. I don't like saying weight loss. I say management of weight and then development of lean muscle tissue. It is the fastest way metabolically to develop, to, to do both of those things. And I always say this, and I tell all of the groups I work with, and if you do believe in this, in, some, in our evolutionary history, we were designed to run in straight lines really, really quickly. Because if you didn't, you got eaten. If you tried to zigzag, those things with four legs were going to catch you. So how we did things is we, we ran real fast and climbed up things as quickly as we could. If we don't sprint as adults and we just focus on elliptical, and I'm not knocking the elliptical, the treadmill, I'm not knocking the treadmill necessarily. But if we don't sprint, then we're, you are not going to tap into and access the most efficient way to burn fuel in, 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 your, in your body. And, and also, by the way, if you sprint, you're going to be neurologically more sound at work with your family, everything, because it, it, you're, again, you're laying down more motor neurons to, 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 to fire more efficiently. So I, and I will say this, I, I've, I've, I've had a knee replacement and I'm, I'm gearing up for another one. And the reason I have that is because at a certain age, direction change becomes a problem with your articular cartilage. But my surgeon said, yeah, you can sprint two, three times a week, just don't go out and do road work, which is what people normally do. So Casey, I, I tell you right now, if you want to be active and you want to be healthy, within reason, you sprint. 
how would you start? So say uh, I'm a trainer, I'm working with, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, a client whose goal is to lose weight. And, sure. you know, like, how would I, how would I start maybe an unprepared client for sprinting? Yeah, I, I think that you, uh, you, you first address, you address their, their endurance issues. Um, you can certainly do low level plyometric, which are the ladder drills to get them moving and get their patterns back down. So they, uh, they start to learn movement again you could teach them some, you could teach them the wall drive drills which is recovery drills so that they can get their legs up into the position that they need that they would need to be once they start sprinting you could also teach them to march simply marching movements that's going to it's going to encourage that opposite arm opposite leg relationship and you know understanding too that not everybody can sprint at the same level they might have to ease into it doing band work um, from a fixed position, getting them to understand, again, positions of power for an athlete. Now, here's the interesting thing. You might, Casey, have somebody who you look at and say, they're not going to be able to sprint, but you can mimic the movement in, in the session. You can mimic the sprint movement in the session, but they might not be able to reach that high level of sprint. Um, so th- there's a lot of variables, but I would say making sure that that person is is, is, is in a position where their, their load bearing, their joints are not going to be affected by the fact that you're going to, I would never just immediately say, okay, you're running 80 yards. That would be insane. But giving them the opportunity to learn that I've had, I've had many people in my adult population who walked in the door and said, I can't do that. I, I, I can't do that. And I, and I always say, yeah, you can't yet. You haven't tapped into your ability, the abilities that you already have to move like this. And generally, Casey, it's weight. Generally, it's the fact that they've just added so much weight to their body and it's going to be, it's going to affect them. So you start them on a path to losing weight uh, and, and then redistributing weight, gaining more lean muscle tissue. And then you start to point them in the direction of, hey, the, this, that they can sprint. And they really can. Yeah, for sure. I love that. I think, I think, the nugget I just pulled out of there is just appreciating as the coach, as the trainer, that sprinting is not one thing. It's not running right. 100 meter yard repeat sprints. It's, Correct. It, it's like an act of getting your body into the right position to produce force. Like you're saying sure. with like ladder work, like you know mechanical work, like that is taking the necessary steps to sprint that not everyone might be able to just you know, start with. So I, I think that's, sure. that's huge. It's just the coach and trainer having the appreciation of where their athlete, and it goes back to what you, what you're saying uh, with like assessing, making sure when you assess your client, making sure that they, you know, that that, if that's something that you, you know, Hey, we're going to get athletes in here for adults or gen pop, whatever it is, sprinting, sure. making sure that they, where they're at in that level is going to be very important. Um, but I think that's what, that, but that's what takes it to the next level, Casey is that generally when an adult joins a program, they immediately throw them into a program with no evaluation whatsoever. And that's not who we are. We, we have to evaluate. I got to know what people can do. And I, got, and I don't care. It doesn't matter. I've, I've got people in their 60s in my adult program who can sprint, by the way. And it, it's, I, I'm sorry, they, they got to evaluate. I got to find out where they are. Yep. Yep. That's, I mean... That's the first thing I, you know, I'll have people, I actually had a mom last week um, come in and ask, you know, like, what are, what are some things that, you know, like I should be looking for in a personal trainer? And the 
funny. The, fir- the first thing I said, I was like, well, you know, it's weird you're asking me in a gym this question, but I mean, it's just, you know, how does the, how does that trainer start you? Is it with an assessment or right. is it with, Hey, come right in. Are they asking the questions to get to know you and what your injury history is and what you like and why you even want to walk into a gym and work with a trainer? Or are they just going to put right. you on the floor and say, Hey, let's kick your butt and tell you that I, you know, make you feel like shit so that you need a trainer. Um, well, but it shouldn't be about the echoes down. everything. No, it's not. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, if you're, and it's funny we talk about sprinting. If you're sprinting, you're sprinting hard. And, and regardless if it's sprinting, jumping ladders, if you're working hard, you're going to feel that. <laughs> you're going to feel it. Yeah, you, sh- you sure are. Mr. Mitchell, no about it. What, um, what, where is the best way for people to get more Eric Mitchell? I know you got some speaking engagements coming up, um, but where, where do I find more Eric Mitchell? Well, I mean, here's what I would, love, would certainly want everybody to do. Reach out to me via email. Um, my email address is long, but it's emitchell.pariseyspeedschool at gmail.com. And anybody that reach out, reaches out to me, if they reach out to me via Facebook, um, they can contact me. I will give them my phone number, my cell phone number. I will be very happy to talk to anyone about what we do and how we do it and how we can make people better. I'm actually, I'm going Friday to the uh, NSCA regional uh, strength conference at Juniata college, my old college. And I'm going to be speaking about coaching there. And I'm doing that two o'clock on Friday. I will be at that conference speaking up there. And uh, so listen, I'm an open book. Casey, Casey knows this. Anybody that that ever wants to talk to me, I am available and uh, would be very happy to talk to people for sure. That's awesome. I'll make sure all that information is in the show notes. I apologize if you get spam um, from the show notes and the email, email being in it. But uh, Eric Mitchell, thank you so much for making time to come on. I'm super pumped we were able to do a second episode. And uh, okay, yeah, I know that honored. three is coming up. I'm honored. I'm honored. And whatever you, whatever you need me to do, I'm available. And you know that. It's awesome, man. I appreciate it. And I have to make a trip to Vermont, come up to your speed school. Uh, anytime, man. You know where we're yeah. at anytime. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I love it. Thank you so much.